Hi, everyone, and welcome to Human Center, brought to you by VML YNR. I'm Nick Brunker, Director of Experience Strategy and your host for the show. Thanks for tuning us in. We're glad you're with us. On every episode of Human Centered, we explore how brands, both large and small, are creating meaningful customer experiences and discuss how professionals like you can tap into CX best practices to create value and gain traction in transforming your business. On the show today, we're going to dive deeper into a topic that we touched on on our last episode, which was how you can architect a framework for inclusive transformation and what are those building blocks needed to do it right. To continue that discussion today, I'm pleased to welcome back the Chief Integration Officer for VML YNR, Myron King to the show. Myron, great catching up with you again. How are things in your world? Nick, thank you for having me. I appreciate the uh, opportunity and the platform. Things things are going well. We are coping, compartmentalizing, and carrying on at the same rate and with the same momentum as the last time we talked. So I'm um, glad to be here to share a little bit of uh, insight and, and, and hopefully some some exciting news that's on the horizon with you. I think before we dive too much further into uh, the nuts and bolts of it, I'd love to hear how you define inclusive design so that people who are listening that have heard the term but may not have gone deep have kind of a baseline for what we're talking about today. You know, if you just if you just break down the etymology of the term inclusive design, it presumes that there are individuals that are excluded or that there are extreme circumstances where a typical design isn't accommodating or doesn't take into account some of these additional cases, some of these additional needs, some of these additional user contexts that need to be um, considered or, a, or, or need to be optimized for. So when you're thinking inclusive design, it's thinking about what might have been considered edge cases becoming literally the main success scenario. I'm using old language, mm-hmm. but I think you're tracking with me that what used to be extreme now needs to become more the the norm. And thinking about those those scenarios is how you become more inclusive in your design. Now, I think the term as a term of art in the space is really closely connected to accessibility, right? Interfaces, technologies, industrial design that that is accommodating individuals um, that weren't maybe considered. Right. So we might think about accessibility for buildings Mm. as something that could be considered inclusive design. We might think about um, um, web accessibility and screen reading and, 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 and other other technologies as inclusive design. And I think and it's true and it is part of that. The next realm of inclusivity in design is having a space where we consider all of the um, perspectives of individuals that are going to be impacted by a design or can influence a design to create a new and different product. Mm -hmm. And products, I think, is also a a noun that can throw folks off. When we say product, sure, it could be a piece of hardware, all right? It could be something architectural, but it might also be something creative, like an advertisement, (laughs) right? Yep. And and in our business, considering we're part of WPP and WPP is responsible for at least one in six of all marketing messages on the planet at any given time, we definitely have an increasing amount of responsibility to think about how inclusive our work really is and how representative it really is. So when we start talking about inclusive design, we're talking about inclusion in a social sense, mm-hmm. not just in a uh, human ability sense. Like, so, that, so, there's, so there's where the pivot kind of comes from the current notion of inclusive design to the space that we're starting to explore, which is how can we make design more inclusive? How can inclusion become more part of the nucleus of a design process and, and, and human-centered design and design thinking fundamentally. 
And it seems like what is shocking to me, and looking at all the the different research that's out there, and of course having having lots of conversations with you as well, it, it seems like very few firms have have really mastered it, have really gotten to the place where they could say we're doing it right, that we're building a business of belonging. Why do you think that is? Is it systematic or is is it more tactical? Tell us why you think that inclusive design is not being practiced as widely as you would like to see or would expect. I'll answer it with an analogy. I've had grand opportunities at VML YNR to be a great boss. I, I, I actually want to be considered a great boss. And and maybe if you ask two or three of the hundred plus people that I've I've uh, you know been a boss to, maybe they would agree. <laughs> but I can tell you this: I can count on one hand the number of people that look like me that I've had the opportunity to be a boss to. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I've tried to be the best boss for people that don't look like me. I guess that makes me an inclusive leader, a person who tries to be an inclusive manager, a person who tries to design their approach to employee experience in an inclusive way. Because as the center, as the person who has control over how I act, inclusion means me opening my arms and my hands to embrace those that don't look like me that don't share similarities to me. And guess what? That population in in WPP and in our industry is the smallest one. So I have very fleeting opportunities to be the best boss I can be to people that look like me because there's so few of them in the business. Mm -hmm. So extrapolate that outward to the question you ask. There's a fundamental issue with numbers that doesn't permit or allow for individuals to be for the for the majority of individuals to be the best boss to people that don't look like them because we don't have enough we don't have enough black brown indigenous people of color in the business for that opportunity to be prevalent mm-hmm. and constant which is part of the reason why businesses don't necessarily place the 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 the, the right level of impetus on this aspect of management it's a numbers game and that numbers game is institutional and structural it literally is but when we start to bring attention to it and programs that are around diversity, equity, inclusion, and the training that's related, they are starting to break the fog. Nothing was more prolific in breaking the fog than last June. And this triumvirate of things that we learned in late May of 2020 that gave us the summer that we had, right? It wasn't just George Floyd. It was that Christian Kirk could have been George Floyd the weekend prior. And as we heard that news, we learned about a black jogger in Atlanta named Ahmad Arbery. We learned about a young EMT sleeping in her bedroom, shot to death, right? Breonna Taylor. And all of this happened without the distractions socially, right? We didn't have a March Madness. We didn't have a Masters. We didn't have all the sports stuff. We didn't have all the distractions and we were locked down. So it's kind of like, oh my God, this is happening? What's going on here? Now to some of us, we knew it was going on. But that lifted the fog, Nick. And as a result of that fog lifting, people started saying, how are we perpetuating this? How are we contributing to this circumstance? What can we do to change it? And now we have a renewed focus on it. But we're approaching a year since that, since the turmoil and and something that has set in. And I'll share this observation. For some, it seems like this was yesterday or a month ago. And now that the George Floyd trial has started in Minneapolis, a lot of this is coming back to to the forefront. And we're starting to look at the progress and we're saying to ourselves, have we really done enough? Am I feeling like this is fundamentally different than it was a year ago or a year before that? And depending on who you ask, 
be perfectly honest, um, they'll say no. <laughs> they'll say no. Nothing has changed. Things are the same as they were. And then you have another spectrum of people who are like, look what we've done. We've accomplished so much. We've done we've done so many things. You know, I almost feel like we're still having this conversation. I've done my best. I've tried my hardest. What more do you need? What more do you want? God, I'm so <laughs> tired. <laughs> All of that is happening in the same space as that same those those same sorts of emotions, whether spoken or unspoken, and generally they're unspoken, are still showing up in Teams and showing up in Zoom and are showing up in in on 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 projects that need to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. We've got to get to a better sense of understanding across across that divide because once we have that understanding, then you create a landscape for empathy. And right now, there's got to be some understanding that not enough is being done and the things that are being done may not have the lasting sustainable impact that they are desired to have. And that's where inclusion and design need to start intersecting. It's about asking better questions and being big enough to absorb the answers without feeling like it's an accusation um, or an attack or assuming a a defensive posture Mm -hmm. when you hear that 40% of people feel isolated at work and that 56% would say, I'm more satisfied in my job when I feel like I belong. And 67% would say, I feel like I have a better shot at at achieving success in this company when I see someone like me in the C-suite. Like, if you acknowledge yeah. that yeah. and you acknowledge the counterpart to it, the, 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 the inverse of it, then you start saying, well, this is, this is our why. This is our reason. This is why we have to do this. It's not just about our business externally, but we will not sustain our human capital reserves if we don't. Well, and what's exciting about what you just said is it, it comes back to if you take all those things and – bring them together. It, it is about that that business of belonging and bringing the equity and inclusion elements in. But there's also uh, what you hit on being accountable, the accountability aspect. And that comes comes right to the, to the surface. And I think we all touched on it, Walt and Sarah, last time uh, when we talked about being able to be good listeners, understand what you don't know, be transparent about it. Um, and, and it's all the reason or among the reasons why um, it sounds like in the last year you've put some serious emphasis, and it's probably been more than a year, quite honestly, about codifying this into um, something that, that you're going to be unveiling here very soon called inclusion experience at VML YNR. Let, let's talk a little bit about that and what you think that is going to bring to the marketplace in in the next few uh, weeks and months and beyond. Thank you for teeing that up. So we so we have talked about this this condition. We, we, we understand that there are a couple other dynamics that are happening in our marketplace that we have to be aware of. One of those is the shifting demographic state of the United States, that 2040, we're projected to be a multicultural uh, majority across the United States. And with that comes additional spending power that will top $7 trillion. Uh, and the opportunities for businesses, particularly ones that are in our space that market and advertise their goods and services for sale, they need to be made aware of what that changing circumstance means, not just for the products they sell and how they go to market with those products and how they advertise, but also how those products are uh, built, how they arrive at those products being innovated. It really comes to knowing better your consumer bases and your customers and your um, and employees better. And in doing so, you can yield and find much better uh, business outcomes as a result. 
So inclusion experience is a strategic consulting and implementation practice, and we're going to partner with clients to bring about a long-term sustainable set of cultural changes that uh, impact them both internally among employees, but also externally with their customers and the communities that they intend to serve. We think that it's three core capabilities, essentially, um, one being ways of working, organizational redesign and transformation, the second being literally diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And the third is being brand consultants um, via a, uh, a new offering that we call the Culture Studio. Um, each one of these areas has its own set of processes and its own set of outputs, um, but all together specialize in helping accelerate a company's evolution to become a uh, more diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization. It's really interesting that we we have this opportunity and time to, to really start to not only affect the way we operate internally at the agency, but do what we do best, which is help partner with the clients we have and just partner with, with different business leaders and avoiding those situations that I think you talk about Culture Studio, uh, avoiding those um, faux pas where if you don't have this type of IX thinking in the room, you might find yourself in the same scenario that Pepsi was with Kylie Jenner, or just as an example, to name a few. Sure. I mean, these are these are things that I would imagine transcend just your day-to-day work. It's really about how you think and the people and the brains that you're bringing into the mix, um, because now you're, you're teaching them how to understand marketplace diversity and ask the right questions, not just, you know, as a theory, understand what inclusion design is and, and how you need to act upon it, correct? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Just the notion that cultural movements affect companies, right? And and they affect not just their customers, but they also affect their employees too. And consumers have a, a higher, a heightened expectation now than ever that brands don't ignore or stay silent. Like they expect brands to take a stand and not mm-hmm. taking a stand is just as demonstrative. So when we couple that with that emerging demographic trend that I just mentioned, you do see the sense of urgency. So we feel like this is a really prime time to leverage our acumen and cachet in marketing and advertising across every channel to start having a conversation that we're also more ready and willing to have than maybe other organizations because we're having it internally. The the real linchpin to what we think is success for inclusion experience is that VMOYNR is our first client. We know that we have as much work to do as any other organization out here and we have embraced the, the task. We know what that work looks like. We know that is it is not pretty. It is not simple. And it's going to hurt because change does, right? Like, I don't know that anyone who has, has worked out for an extended period of time didn't feel some amount of pain <laughs> as their body went through that transition. Yes. Well, our bodies have to go through this transition and it's going to take work. Like anything, if I train you today, Nick, it's like one hour, great. But if you don't practice, you don't change your behavior. You don't actually reap the benefits. So IX is also rooted in this notion of transformation being lasting and sustainable, meaning you got to commit to a set of habitual changes. And some of those mean rooting out some of the status quo that exists in different places and pockets and departments. And it's not always pretty work, but it's essential. Yeah. And the other thing that you touched on that I think is is interesting in a parallel with what we've talked about on, you know, your standard customer experience 101 type things is driving it through, driving this change and transformation through executive level sponsorship. And 
I imagine those are conversations that, that you're very uh, accustomed to having and, and on a daily basis uh, having to have as you, you know, kind of continue to stand up this, this practice among mm-hmm. other leaders within the organization. But just as customer experience and human-centered design needs that top-level down push, I would imagine that first bullet that you t- touched on, transformation, the facet of transformation, org design, you're going to have to have buy-in from everybody from the top down to really make a change, or it's ultimately going to just fall flat, would it not? That's absolutely true. You know, we've learned some lessons through years of digital transformation work and business transformation work after that. And and we've learned that you definitely have to have buy-in from executives, but you also have to have input and authorship from all aspects and facets of the organization. So you have to create a, a really healthy and, and viable framework for, for allowing collaboration. And you've got to have leadership that can manage expectations such that the process can yield good ideas, right? And that's where we start to leverage our design thinking acumen and apply it to a, a set of, of conditions that it hasn't been applied to before. We haven't asked diversity, equity, and inclusion questions as an organization mm-hmm. with a design thinking lens. And when you start to do that, it creates a whole new realm of possibilities. And those possibilities can be refined and become the ingredients to build a, a recipe for success that is inclusive and diverse and drives belonging and puts those at the core of what you're doing, but not at the expense of business growth or client growth Mm -hmm. or awards. Like these aren't mutually exclusive at all. In fact, you can amplify all of those valuable outcomes by doing things in a different way that is more inclusive, that does put belonging at the center and and values how people feel about the process, not just what comes out of the process. So when we talk transformation and we talk organizational design and strategic road mapping, we really are trying to bring in people from different aspects of the of the organization to have input, to be exposed to other facets so that we can have um, what we call enterprise-wide cultural change. One of the other things that I think we at VMLYNR uh, seem to be doing very well, and I say the, the more general we, is in the, the people who are helping make these these events move, or you know the DEI council and the and the, the likes that are creating these events, that are doing you know organizational stand up and and planning in terms of events. I mean, the Just Add Flavor conference just a, a handful of weeks ago is a good example of of one of many. Um, but you talk about like putting the the time and the effort against making this something that. You can not only talk about, but actually practice and, and practice visibly. So there's transparency in, I'm, I'm not only going to tell you about what is the right thing to do, I'm going to show you what is is the, the right thing to do or, or the, the thing that's going to ultimately drive the culture and that sense of belonging. Uh, talk about that consultation facet of, of IX and how your group within the organization can can help partner with leaders to, to do the same within their companies. So, so for the last, you know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say for the last seven years, we've had a formal group assembled across VML YNR that that was dedicated to accomplishing an acronym called REACH, right? That we would recruit, that we would educate, that we would be authentic, uh, that we would amplify culture, and that we would um, promote humanism in our approach to DEI. And over the years, that's it's resulted in a 
a wide array of programming um, that has been really foundational to helping us say with confidence that DEI is in our DNA, right? We've um, set up employee resource groups, which is not unique, but our employee resource groups have more quickly stabilized and now have more organic space. So we're uh, loosely coupled, tightly aligned, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, our employee experience enhancements have all reflected this notion of how can we create more opportunities for engagement so that new team members feel acclimated and that they don't have to do so much leaning in. How can we create a organization that kind of leans into its employees? That's a, a, a different paradigm entirely where a new employee doesn't, it feels less anxious and, and less afraid. This comes out of our DEI group. And then you have training and curriculum design. And then you have talent recruitment and pipeline diversification and partnerships that we craft and execute across the board with nonprofits all the way to our biggest clients. And then you have things like Just That Flavor, where we do event planning, coordination, and execution. All of that is in the realm of our DEI consultation space. And and we're having real conversations in each of those facets with our clients, giving them giving them access to the things that we do, um, sharing with them how we got to those uh, points of execution and, and helping them with that same uh, muscle memory. Um, we're also extending our connections across business and industry to um, help them have a wider array of personalities and people to engage with and partner with um, because it's going to take more than any one company, more than any one department. It's going to take a village. And like one of our colleagues said famously during Just That Flavor, it's going to take a nation to overcome some of the challenges that we have that are institutional and structural. And this DEI consultation really is a unique way for us to deliver that kind of value in the marketplace. I'd like to get your thoughts on how technology can can help make an impact. I mean, we've seen, you know, innovation and, and technology advancements, you know, seemingly every other week there's something new that that can be leveraged as those those types of innovations begin to scale, thinking things like AI to use a, a very general term, but you know, as we think about how you know, we do unconscious bias training and other types of things that are, have become relatively regular occurrences across lots of companies. Are you and, and your group thinking about, and I'm sure you are, but maybe elaborate on how you see some of those areas in technology becoming a more powerful um, and impactful player in identifying some of the uh, human limitations or things that um, that we might not just recognize by having conversations that technology can actually, you know, be an asset to us in addition to the work that, that you're doing. Oh, for sure. Um, let's take a couple of slants. One area of technology that can definitely be be helpful is any technology that's used to collect data and collect insights. So, you know, without throwing any names out, but let's just say that there are major companies that mm-hmm. that actually execute surveys and 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 they collect points of view and perspective and it's quite difficult and expensive to get at slices of information from from BIPOC cohorts, just for example. Harder to reach, harder to identify, harder to get get their perspective on a range of questions and topics or to isolate that in these large data sets. But I think we're going to see an increasing demand from these companies to parse their data in such ways that we can get better, more salient points of view from large data sets where these populations are concerned so that we can have that statistical insight 
to drive better decision making. We're refining our resources to do exactly that. And our approach to this is having what's called studios, studios that are strategic in nature, that are digging more deeply into um, people insights so that we can start to ascertain better information, better prediction models for how groups will respond to certain stimuli that we put into our product mix or put into our content mix. Um, So that's one way. Another way that we're looking at um, technology, you kind of spoke to it, was was artificial intelligence, uh, um, virtual reality, augmented reality. And, And one of the interesting places to go is how you can start building more empathy or creating more empathy or opportunities for empathy using these tools. Imagine headsets that you can put on that give you a simulated experience of what it would mean to be a different race or ethnicity visibly than you currently are. And to see how how, how moving through a hallway in a packed office might feel when you're the only or what it's like to be in this boardroom and experience some of the things that you only hear about or read about if you have a personal relationship with a BIPOC person who's experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, you may say, oh, is that really how you feel? I, I've never seen that. I wouldn't even know how to I wouldn't even know that was happening if it were right. happening. Well, we can create simulations, right, where you can kind of have that experience and feel that experience. So that's another way that we can employ technology to kind of break through this reality distortion field that exists between um, what I might experience and what you might experience so that you can maybe get a little bit closer to to walking a a mile or at least a hallway in my shoes. (laughs) Um, Other ways I think are to, to make sure that we're diversifying access, right? One of the problems with technology is that it's not universally accessible. Yeah. And we've got to do things that close that digital divide and close the Internet divide. It seemed like for a moment during COVID, there was a lot of attention being paid to equity in terms of Internet access and equity in terms of computer access. Mm-hmm. I would hope that we continue to figure out ways to to make access to technology as ubiquitous as access to running water mm-hmm. and access to Internet. The same way, even even at our worst, this country has had plenty. And I think we've got to do some things that that share that wealth and share that access more broadly, more uniformly and make that a, a priority. I don't think that's necessarily like a, a task for, for <laughs> I don't know that that's a design task per se, yeah. but it's definitely like if we get those things done, imagine what what possibilities can emerge when more people of different perspectives and lived experiences and socioeconomic backgrounds can contribute and and articulate what their experience is so that we can absorb it, understand it, and make better products from it. That's where we've got to get. Like, there's no shortage of great ideas. I just think we need to diversify the the places where those great ideas can come from. Well, and it goes back to what we said in the last episode when we, we talked about being able to have the, those types of folks at the table who have those those diverse backgrounds that can you know be somebody who has experienced different things in life and, and the design teams uh, should be representative of the customers you want to reach. And obviously that goes back to experiencing some of those things. One one anecdote that I, I recall, and I don't know what sparked it, um, that something you said about tactically experiencing something else with through virtual reality or AI, um, you know, thinking about just one angle of, of disability or, or trying to design for, for a different experience, it's for somebody who has dementia or um, is in the early stages or even mid stages of, of Alzheimer's. And uh, one of the uh, experiences that I 
I have gone through in my career is, you know, working through some of the design and customer experiences, actually doing um, a series of activities with different tactical um, impairments. So you had these glasses and you had um, uh, headphones on that were um, playing lots of different distracting white noise among other conversations and, and, and even doing the most simple tasks like folding laundry or trying to go to the door and turning on a light was very, very difficult um, because of, of how people in that stage of life are experiencing those things day to day. And unless you were going through it, you can hear it. You can he- understand that, yeah, they may be going through some stuff, but until you actually experience it yourself, you're just guessing. You're just trying to imagine rather than actually experiencing it. So I think what you said yep. about AI um, and virtual reality, I think it opens up the doors to doing a lot more of that sort of thing than it does just talking about the theory of it or even having people on the team that maybe have that point of view. It's it's having everybody uh, in that group being able to coalesce around that, that same emotional element that drives people forward, that motivates to action. So I went on my soapbox there for a minute, but I thought that was super, a uh, super interesting uh, anecdote that, that you sparked to me when you talked about that experience. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to be a part of that. And I'm excited to hear more about IX as it unfolds. Is that something that our listeners can learn more about in the coming weeks, I imagine, at VMOYR.com? Yeah. So this this was a this was an early preview. We, we are on a uh, mid to late April trajectory for a soft launch internally and a and a broader public launch end of month, early May. Um, you know, and, and it's like anything else, you know, we want to measure twice, cut once, um, <laughs> and, and make sure that one, the position is authentic. You, you heard me say that we are, our, we are our first client, which means we are our first case study, which means that we have to be poised to answer difficult questions, but also to, to, to share our successes, right? We shouldn't be, uh, overly, uh, self-congratulatory and we shouldn't be, um, overly shy about what we've accomplished, right? So striking that balance is important. Um, we also don't want to set any false promises about what we can accomplish. You know, the third thing is that we have to meet, we have to meet clients where they are, right? You know, not, not, not everyone has been in Jerry's, not everyone is Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and even if we were working with them, we'd want to, to meet them where they are and try to contribute. And, and we're always going to learn. We're going to learn as much as we teach. We want to partner. We want to do this with, not for. And that's an important distinction as well. When we can hit all of those different dimensions, I think that we can do amazing work. And we've already got great relationships, thousands, right? Hundreds of great relationships in North America alone mm-hmm. that are um, that are already saying, can we talk? And the answer is an unequivocal, yes, we can. And a big theme, I think, to close the show is that it comes back to driving home the why and and bringing passion to do better for your customers. And at the end of the day, you know, leaders, whether they're in agency life or on the client side, working in leaders in business, I mean, it comes back to getting the people that you surround yourself with, uh, finding that desire and the excitement in purpose of their work to, to drive inclusive design for their customers and be there with them as a relationship instead of, and I think you touched on it at the top, was creating relationships with the markets and the customers you serve versus we're here to even, you know, serve them a product or a service. We're not, we're selling them something. It's, it's becoming more and more about the relationships, which means at the end of the day, it's about having the people that are on behalf of your brand being as passionate about delivering those experiences 
as you guys are at the top and all the way down, which oh, is, yeah. is so just, exciting. Just just think about it. Think about all of your relationships, like very literally. If we focus on being relational first, getting to know each other and and understand each other and and and, and find, you know, common interests, common experiences, it makes the transactional so much more so much easier. So it reduces so much of the friction there. We can have some really difficult conversations more quickly and more productively if we already know each other. Like, I don't have to assume your intent, Nick, because I know you. You've already demonstrated your intent, right? So when we get into the difficult conversations about what to do when the rubber hits the road and we have to actually do something difficult where we can't both be winners necessarily, it'll be easier because we're not at odds. Right. Um, And I think that we can create those kind of relationships through the inclusion experience so that employers have those kind of relationships with their employees and brands can have that kind of relationship with their customers and consumers. Dude, it's always so great catching up with you. I know you've been extremely busy of late and I know uh, time is always always at a premium. So I really appreciate you carving out a few minutes to chat with us about this and back-to-back episodes of The Myron Show uh, on Human Center. <laughs> Thanks again for all the time, man. Oh, uh, hey, well, thank you. Thank you for the time and thank you for uh, doing this uh, during your paternity leave, That's by right. the way. Yeah. Um, yet uh, <laughs> a dad yet again. Congratulations. Um, so, so happy for you and, and your family. Uh, I like when good people make good people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Myra. We're going to do our best. You never know, but we're going to try. <laughs> I, I have faith in you and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be there. Should you need any uh, guidance along the way? I will I've take you up on three it. or four times now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep your phone on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Thank you, Myron. And thanks to you all for listening to Human Centered as well. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show. Give us a rating and offer up your thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and more. Have a topic idea or just want to drop us a line? You can connect with me on Twitter at Nick Brunker or shoot us an email, humancentered at vmlyr.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.